church family, it was the year 403. John Chrysostom was on trial before the Empress for being a follower of Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel. The Empress, Eudoxia, told him, if you don't stop, I'm going to kill you. He responded by saying, no, you cannot, for my life is hidden with Christ in God. She said, well, I will take away all of your treasure. He replied, no, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven, and that is where my heart is. She said, I will ruin you of all of the people who are close to you. You will lose all of your friendships. And he said, no, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven, and that is where my heart is. There is nothing you can do to harm me. Where does someone get that kind of strength? Where does someone get the moxie and the courage and boldness to look a sovereign square in the eye and not flinch? The answer is found in the gospel. And when we get to Mark chapter six, we see John the Baptist going toe to toe with Herod without flinching. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. As a faith family, we're going to be jumping back into the gospel of Mark together. It's uh, part of my desire as your pastor is to shepherd you and prepare you, not just for the days that are coming and the weeks ahead of you. Uh, I want to prepare you for the great and glorious last day that is coming. So one of the the convictions God's placed upon my heart is to do sermons through the books of the Bible. I want to walk through the scriptures and see how God has laid out his word for us with order and with clarity and how we can discover truths that apply to our lives even today. As you're turning to Mark chapter 6, I do want to encourage you to stay with us through the end of our live stream this morning because at the end of the service, I have something really exciting I want to share with you about something coming up next week in which we all get to be a part of together. As you're turning there in the Gospel of Mark, just a quick recap to bring us up to speed, the sermon series is called On the Move. I got that from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where we see Aslan is on the move. Well, as you walk through the Gospel of Mark, you see that Jesus is on the move. 41 times the word immediately shows up in this book. It's fast-paced. It's hard-hitting, in which Mark is focusing more on the actions of Jesus than on the teachings of Jesus. And when we get to Mark chapter 6, we see that Jesus is now leaving Nazareth. He has gone back to his hometown after serving in Capernaum, his ministry headquarters. He goes by his hometown of Nazareth one more time. There he is rejected. He leaves his hometown. He then begins traveling from village to village, preaching and teaching the gospel. He then commissions out his 12 disciples. He sends them out village to village, preaching and teaching, healing the sick and casting out demons. And then we see where as Jesus has sent out his disciples, word is spreading about his fame. The the news about Jesus is becoming so overwhelmingly popular that people all throughout Israel begin to hear about him, even all the way up to the palace of King Herod, which is where we pick up in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 14. 
King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, and he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. An opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. At once, she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. Well, Jesus' fame is spreading, and the news of his miraculous powers have reached all the way up to King Herod. The focus of this text is verse 14, where it says, Jesus' name had become well-known. This miracle worker from Nazareth and Galilee has a large following. He is calming storms. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's teaching and preaching with authority. Well, just like his daddy, Herod the Great, who heard of a famous king being born in Bethlehem, King Herod Antipas, verse 14, has heard about this famous Jesus. And now the identity of Jesus is a, is a mystery in the palace. Some begin to speculate that Jesus is Elijah or a prophet or even a resurrected John the Baptist. John the Baptist. That name brought fear, verse 16, to the heart of Herod. Now, this is the same John the Baptist who was the miracle baby of Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is the same John the Baptist who was born to parents who were really old and unable to have children until it was Zechariah's time to go to the temple to serve as the priest. And while he is there, the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, you're going to have a son and you're to name him John. Zechariah didn't believe Gabriel. And so Gabriel judged him and said, you are going to be mute. You will not be able to speak until the baby's birth. This is the same John that was out in the wilderness preaching, repent and prepare, your, prepare the way for the Lord. In fact, Mark begins his gospel right there with John the Baptist preaching. This is the same John the Baptist who wore camel hair and a leather belt and ate locusts and wild honey. This is the same John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. He was in the Jordan River 
calling people to repent and to be baptized. He would call out Roman soldiers and say, stop stealing from people and be, be thankful for your wages. This is the same John the Baptist who told tax collectors not to take more than they were already had to take according to government law. This is the same John the Baptist that when Jesus was rising in his authority and in his uh, influence throughout the nation of Israel, he said in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is John the Baptist. Here he is preaching and preparing the way for the Lord. And now we see him burst on the scene, not only calling sinners to repent and prepare the way for the Lord, but now he is going toe to toe with King Herod. Now, King Herod found John intriguing and compelling. Herod liked to hear John preach, probably because no one else had the courage to speak to him the way that he did. So when word spread that Jesus could be John the Baptist raised from the dead, Herod felt regret. Sorrow filled his soul as he recounted the events of his death, for he knew that the blood of John the Baptist was on his hands. He was responsible for the death of this prophet, and he knew he was responsible. He was riddled with guilt in his conscience. And if John had been raised, Herod is thinking, oh, what kind of vengeance would he bring upon me? You can even hear it in his voice in verse 16. John, the one I beheaded has been raised. Then in verses 17 and following, Mark records a flashback of the events that led to John's death. This morning, I want you to notice in the text how Herod's guilty conscience compelled him to recall, number one, John's fearless truth-telling. John's fearless truth-telling. Look at verse 18. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herod had not only committed adultery with his half-brother's wife, Herodias, but it was also incest because he married this woman, Herodias, who was his niece. Herod seduced her away from her husband while he was off in business in Rome. And so to entice her to, to marry him, she turns away from that marriage, divorces him to Philip and marries Herod, who divorces his first wife so he can marry Herodias. Well, John the Baptist, he's unafraid. He's unashamed to speak truth to power. You can imagine the tension in the palace because Herod was a fan of John the Baptist, verse 20, but Herodias, verse 19, couldn't stand John. She wanted to kill him because John kept preaching against her bogus marriage to the king. This marriage reminds me of Ahab and Jezebel in 1 Kings 18 through 21 where Jezebel sought to kill the prophet Elijah because he kept preaching God's truth and condemning her. Well, Herod arrested John, verse 17, and put him in the dungeon of his palace. When called upon to go see the king, John told him, verse 18, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. See, Herod was violating the law of Moses in Leviticus 18, 16. The scripture says you are not to have sexual intercourse with your brother's wife. She is your brother's family. 
Or Leviticus 20, verse 21. If a man marries his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has violated the intimacy that belongs to his brother. You see, John fearlessly, boldly declared the truth regarding Herod and his marriage. Now, some might say, hey, John, that's none of your business. What happens behind closed doors? What, who likes who? Who marries who? That's, that's none of your business. You, you really shouldn't get involved in that. And yet, is that not the role of us as followers of Jesus? In which we are ready and willing to speak the truth, even if it costs us. What about you? Are you a truth teller? Are you one who speaks the truth when the opportunity comes out for you to fudge numbers, to cut corners, to cheat on a test, or maybe even smear someone's character who's in front of you when it comes to a promotion. When taxes are due, do you move numbers around? Do you modify sales numbers to make yourself look good? Do you speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth so help you God? What about if you've got a friend or a family member who is in sin? Do you have the gospel courage to go and have the hard conversation, to speak the truth to those who need to be reminded of what God says? Proverbs 27, six says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. When you speak the truth into the lives of those around you, those whom you love, though you wound them, those wounds can be trusted. I love Proverbs 24, 26. It says an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. You see, John here is speaking truth to power. He is speaking with conviction about the truth of marriage. And what we'll see here in a few moments is how he is going to have to pay for it. So may I challenge you today, be ready and willing to enter into difficult conversations. Be ready to speak the truth, even if it costs you. Because if you don't, then you cannot be a servant of Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter one, verse 10, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, you've got to decide, am I gonna seek to please man or am I gonna seek to please God? It can't be both. You have to decide question is, who do you fear more? Do you fear man and the praise of man or what they might say against you? Or do you seek to please the one who knows you and loves you and has called you according to his purpose in the gospel? You see, this is what the gospel does. The gospel compels God's people to be truth tellers, to be those who step in and have hard conversations and we are willing to call sin what it is and call people, don't go that way, go the way of Christ. His way is better, his way is true and his way leads to eternal life. Now, if you're someone who does not enjoy conflict, you're, you, you wince when the time comes for you to have that hard conversation. I wanna invite you to pray, God, give me courage. 
Give me boldness. Give me the willingness to step in and say what needs to be said. Or maybe you're on the other side. You love conflict. You love having combative conversations. You relish in the, in the difficulty of it. And I want to invite you to temper your disposition. Humble yourself. We're to speak the truth with love. Sometimes there's even believers who will claim to be God's only prophet and they come out swinging and guns blazing, claiming to speak for God. And ultimately they're just jerks. But what we see with John the Baptist is here he is, he is speaking the truth with love. He's stepping into a hard conversation because he's a servant of Christ. Question for you, are you gonna be a servant of Christ or a servant of the world? Can't have both. You see, when you're tempted to avoid conflict, you must decide, am I gonna shrink back and compromise? Or am I gonna stand firm on conviction? John was faced with a decision, compromise or be a man of conviction. Shut your mouth and keep your head or speak the truth and die. You know, John could have easily just said, hey, you know what, Herod, I, I didn't mean it. I, I shouldn't have said it the way I said it. Uh, let, let's just go back and just say, like, act like it never even happened. Can, can you just tell the queen to follow me on Instagram? We'll be Facebook friends and we'll move forward. Let's let bygones be got bygones. No, 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 no. Hear me on this. Conviction stands for God's truth, especially when it's not convenient. Conviction stands for truth, especially when it's not convenient. You see, conviction for God's truth is where you stand when it's not popular, when it's not easy. That's where we stand as followers of Christ. We say, here I stand, I can do no other. So when you're sitting across the desk from your boss, when the microphone is in your hand, when you have a camera in your face, when the meeting goes quiet and everyone looks at you, when you're sitting across the table having coffee with your friend, do you compromise or do you stand on conviction? Do you speak the truth even when it will cost you? You need to make up your mind right now. You need to decide, I'm going to stand with Christ, I'm going to stand for Christ, and I'm going to remain in his truth even if it costs me. What we see in the text is John the Baptist, who was a fearless truth teller who would not compromise but spoke with conviction. But we also see Herod's guilty conscience, number two, compelled him to recall John's faithful living. His faithful living. Queen Herodias, verse 19, she held a grudge against John for calling out her and Herod for their sexual sin. Just as Jezebel wanted Elijah dead, Herodias wants John dead. But she couldn't touch him because her husband Herod stood in the way. Verse 20, Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. You see, John's moral fiber was exemplary. He was blameless. He was pure. That word for righteous, it means just. 
It's one who is acceptable before God. You see, John is the one who saw Jesus and declared, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, John knew Jesus as the Lamb of God. He is the perfect Lamb. He is the perfect Passover sacrifice for sins. And because John was trusting in Christ as his king, as his Lord, as his savior, as his lamb of God, who was the perfect sacrifice for his sins, we see John the Baptist was a righteous and just man. He was a godly man. You see, what was happening on the inside was seen on the outside. John's moral fiber was strong. He was a godly man, a righteous man. But do you see what's happening there in the text? What we see is a king who is wealthy and powerful and strong, who is terrified of John the Baptist. What we see is a man of conviction who is living a godly, righteous life and it is terrifying a king. I mean, think about it. Here is John, righteous, godly, strong moral courage, speaking truth to power. And here is Herod, selfish, lustful, morally depraved, and he's terrified of John, and he's bothered by a guilty conscience. You see, John's godliness brought conviction upon the king. Herod knew he was, in, he was wrong in divorcing his wife and marrying his niece. His conscience is bearing witness to his own depravity for the horrible, evil thing that he even did to John. You see, the conscience is placed within all men to declare right and wrong. The word for conscience, uh, the word con meaning with and science meaning knowledge. When someone sins, they do so with knowledge that they are wrong, that what they are doing is wrong. But here's the problem. When men sin, they suppress the conscience. They, they don't want to think about their sins, so they suppress the truth, Romans 1. They continue to sin and they smother the, the nuisance of their conscience as much as possible. You see, this is why Jiminy Cricket's advice is horrible. Your conscience cannot be your guide. Why? Because your conscience has been twisted. When our parents fell in the garden in Genesis 3, we see that sin affects everything, even our conscience. This is why your conscience is not a good guide for you because it's been perverted by sin. That's kind of like watching Hallmark and seeing them say, just follow your heart, trust your heart. No, please don't do that. The heart is deceitful above all else. You cannot trust your heart. You cannot trust your conscience. This is why as believers, those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, we need the scriptures. We need a regular diet of God's word. You see, the Bible recalibrates your conscience towards truth. The more you dig into the scriptures, the more you plant your face in God's book, the more God will take his word and transform you 
on the inside where your conscience is brought back into right alignment with his word. You see, your changed life, it compels other people who don't love Jesus and those who are not walking with Jesus to be convicted of sin. They even will begin to fear from watching your life. Billy Graham once played a round of golf with a famous PGA player. After the 18 holes this famous PGA player stormed off the 18th green. He went to the driving range and just began hitting golf balls with anger. His friend walked up to him and said, what's the matter? And he said, who is Billy Graham to force his religion onto me? And his friend said, so Billy came on pretty strong to you, huh? Well, no, he didn't even bring up religion. I just had a bad round. You see, Billy Graham's godly life convicted this guy. Just by modeling the gospel, by being a man of conviction and truth, it made other people around him uncomfortable. Well, that's what we see here in the text. The life of John the Baptist made Herod feel convicted. He felt convicted of his sin. It's amazing here. Godliness makes the wicked feel convicted. You see, when you live for your life for Christ, when you honor him, when Jesus becomes your passion, watch people around you get uncomfortable. When Jesus becomes your number one priority, when you're passionately following hard after him, people around you are gonna say, why aren't you coming drinking with us anymore? Man, why why don't you do the fun stuff that we used to do? Man, you need to get out of here with all that crazy religion stuff. Man, I think you're taking this Jesus thing a little bit too serious. When people start talking to you like that, you're doing something right. I'm not talking about a self-righteous, pious, arrogant, godly, pharisaical, outward, I'm better than you. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a humble, joyful, passionate pursuit of Jesus that exudes out of your life. And those who are not in Christ are like, whoa, 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 this is a little bit overboard. But you see, to follow Jesus means you're all in. Saying, Jesus, you have all of my life, not a portion, not just Sunday mornings. No, 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 Jesus, you are king and Lord over all all, including all of my life and all of my heart. And here we see John the Baptist, who is making Herod feel convicted because of John the Baptist's godly living. And so John's godly living, it made Herod fearful. So in order to appease his wife, he put John in jail. But that's when things went horribly wrong. I want you to see thirdly, Herod's guilty conscience led to, number three, John's fateful dying. Verse 21 says, an opportune time came on Herod's birthday. This is the the moment Herodias has been waiting for. Herod threw a birthday party for himself with all kinds of important people in attendance, nobles, military commanders, celebrities. This banquet, it's full of wine and women and song. These parties would turn into revelers with lots of drinking and gluttony and sexual immorality. And things went really south 
when Herod's own stepdaughter came in and danced before this raucous and rowdy crowd. The men were drunk with wine and this girl's dancing, verse 22, it pleased Herod and his guests. That word for please is used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 regarding the exclusive sexual union between a husband and wife and how they are to please one another. So this dance by Herodias' daughter, this is not, this is not a foxtrot. Uh, this is not the waltz. I know that we have young kids watching with parents right now, but I think you're picking up what I'm putting down. Full of wine, pride, and lust, Herod put his foot in his mouth. He made a foolish promise with the girl and all of his guests listening. You see, sin makes people do stupid things. Verse 22, he said, ask me for whatever you want up to half my kingdom. She rushes out of the room, asks her mom, what do I ask for? She says, the head of John the Baptist. She rushes back in in front of all of the crowd I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herod was, verse 26, deeply distressed. He was exceedingly sad, some of your translations say. He was extremely sorry. That word shows up again later in Mark 14 when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was deeply grieved over his coming death on the cross. But Herod's pride was greater than his grief. It was worldly sorrow. It didn't lead to repentance. You see, Herod was a fool. He put himself in this position in the first place. Now he's faced with a difficult decision. Be popular or be righteous. Beloved, hear me, you can rarely have both. There are gonna be times in which you're gonna have to face a difficult decision. And you need to decide, do I want to be popular or do I want to be righteous? I say to you, please do the right thing. When you come to that time in which you have to decide, which way am I gonna go? The way of the world leads to death. The way of Christ always leads to life. And so you bring your life, you bring your difficult decision before the Lord, you humbly bow before him and say, God, I've got to have you. Would you direct my steps? Would you give me courage and boldness and wisdom to make sure I'm doing the right thing? And when you do that, I love 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. It says, the Lord said, I will honor those who honor me. The Lord will honor you when you honor him in your decisions. Herod did not. Based upon the peer pressure of his guests, he ordered the execution of John. John's head was cut off. His body's placed in a tomb. Beloved, you have to make a decision right now before you're in that, in that position of how you're gonna respond. And so this morning, I wanna put steel in your spine. I leave you with the impact point which is the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Right now, make up your mind.
I'm not going to back down, be scared or afraid of anybody who can kill my body, but they cannot touch my soul. You belong to the Lord Jesus. You can see how it all ended and imagine how it all went down. There was John the Baptist. The guards unlock the door. They usher him up to the execution room. He bows down on both knees. His head is placed over the executioner's block. His hands are tied together. The executioner raises his sword. John closes his eyes. He breathes one last prayer. The sword falls. John opens his eyes. Glory. This brutal death was pointing forward to an even greater death in which Jesus, the one whom John gave his life, pointing people to, would stand before King Herod. And Herod would mock him. His soldiers would make fun of him. They would clothe him with colorful garments. Jesus was then taken to his dungeon where he was held until his time before his trial with Pontius Pilate. He would be sentenced to death on a cross. Jesus would carry the cross up Calvary's hill. He would lay down upon that cross. The executioner would raise the hammer above his head. He would drive the nails right through the hands and feet of Jesus. And it is there that Jesus is raised up on the cross on Good Friday. For it is there that he hangs for six hours. And with the world watching and making fun of him, Jesus declares his love for the world. And when the time comes, Jesus closes his eyes. He breathes out his last words of prayer. It is finished. He was laid in a tomb. But on the third day, glory. Maybe today you feel in the depth of your conscience guilt, shame. Sin from your past is weighing you down. May I say to you this morning, Freedom from the weight of a guilty conscience is found only through the cross and the empty tomb. Run to Christ. Believe the gospel. Trust in Jesus and you will find forgiveness. You will find purpose and you will ultimately find freedom from a guilty conscience.